Well, everybody, thank you for downloading episode one. I'm Zach Joyner. I'm joined by Greg. We wanted to come in here and thank you guys for downloading episode one and all your positive uh, feedback we've received so far. And uh, we got some emails that we'll be reading next month, not in this episode. But uh, on behalf of me and Greg, say hi, Greg. Hey. Hi, Greg. <laughs> hi. <laughs> uh, we wanted to thank everybody for... for uh, downloading episode one we hope you enjoy episode two and uh we are of course on itunes now and uh which we weren't when we actually recorded episode one so wanted to acknowledge that as well so uh greg you got any other final thoughts before we get started with episode two i'm overwhelmed by the response to this i mean i was very nervous about this and i think it's turning out pretty well so far and i think you will enjoy episode two Greg, and, yeah, this is, yeah, Greg Wiseman and Jennifer L. Anderson will be back to join us for interactions, but enjoy the uh, enjoy a more objective fan response to the episode. Yep, and uh, we'll be joined with our uh, panel that we introduced at the beginning of episode one, so without further ado, here it is, episode two, the second half of the pilot, Survival of the Fittest. Space Space. Tell me there's something better. Go ahead. Try. Welcome back to the other half of the pilot of Spectacular Radio. I am Zach Joyner, webmaster of spidey-dude.com, producer of the podcast, but I have to introduce the host of the show, Mr. Greg Bishansky. Hiya, hiya. This episode, we're also joined by Mr. Gerard Delatour. Mr. Gerard Delatour is my dad. Oh. <laughs> the second. He's not the first. Uh, and Jesse Garrett. Hello, hello. Okay, so you 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 may have heard these guys before, but uh, uh, Gerard is from Cro- Clone Saga Chronicles, a podcast de- devoted to the Clone Saga, and over at Spidey-Dude.com. And uh, Jesse Garrett is you can hear Jesse and Donovan Morgan Grant at uh, the Next Dimension. Anyway, but uh, we welcome both you guys to to the show. We you if you listened to the first episode, you already heard Greg, but. Uh, so we're going to be covering and uh, going into a lot more detail about the uh, Survival of the Fittest, which is the first episode of uh, Spectacular Spider-Man cartoon. But, Greg, I'm going to turn it over to you, and uh, it's all yours, buddy. Thank you, Zach. First, I think we need to remind ourselves when this show premiered. It was early 2008. Cash yourself back six, seven years ago. Spider-Man 3 had just come out. One more day was behind us by two or three months. It was not the best time in history to be a fan of Spider-Man. A lot of people were not happy with the direction the franchise was going in. And then this show premiered, and it made me very happy. And I like hope to think it made other people happy also. So we're going to be discussing this show for the next 26 months or so. And right now, let's all discuss how we found out about the show, how we got into it. Um, Gerard, you go first. Well... I've, I remember this vaguely because uh, my memory is hazy. And to be quite honest with you... When All I first... that weed you smoked. <laughs> hey, man, lay off the wacky tobacco. It's legal now. It's, it's some places. 
Uh, <laughs> this is not an endorsement of drugs. Please, please use drugs responsibly. Um, that it was what San Diego 2007 is when they sort of publicly unveiled the show. I only seem to remember they maybe showed a couple of pieces of art and maybe ten seconds of animation, which you didn't really see much. I yeah, might be I wrong like here. One poster. Yeah, it was like one poster that was pretty much circulated all over the internet, the teaser. Yeah, I, I remember that, that much. That had the, the tentacles like coming out of the bottom? And it had, yes. And had a vulture silhouette and a Sandman fist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yep, okay, I do remember that. And I remember at the time I saw that, and I just basically just sort of dismissed it. Where I'm like, okay, they announced this, but they don't have much to show. And it was kind of curious, because the show was debuting one a few months. San Diego was 2007. Oh, my God, I'm forgetting. It was, what, July? Yes. So, you know, eight months, nine months until the show was going to debut. Which, in animation, is, is, is you know, the production time of an episode. But from a fan's perspective, that's a, that's a tremendously long amount of time, where, especially with stuff they're announcing at San Diego, where you're, you're expecting you to get hype immediately. So I just sort of dismissed it and almost kind of forgot about it. And thus, when the show actually debuted, I had no, I had no hype for it. And I wasn't paying any attention. I missed the first few episodes and just caught it by chance. Just flipping channels around on a Saturday morning. I'm like, oh, there's a new Spider-Man show. Oh, right, that that Spider-Man show that they announced at San Diego last year. And then from there, I was you just fool. like, I'll give this a chance. It's probably not going to be much. So I started catching it week after week. And then they started showing, you know, earlier season repeats, so I was able to go back and watch it from the beginning and catch all the episodes I missed, and from there I was just hooked. So I, I sort of accidentally discovered a show that I knew about to begin with but forgot about, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it does. And, Zach, how did you discover the show? Uh, well, I was doing some work for the Spider-Man Crawl Space, and... I kind of was. I saw the. I'll be honest with you. I was turned off a little bit by the by the first image because I was like, "What the hell is that?" And you know, my 2007 self, you know, didn't learn the valuable lesson of uh, never judge anything by a promo image. And uh, I watched it when it debuted because uh, partly because of, of, of Brad and we did an interview with both Josh Keaton and Greg Wiseman. And so that kind of got, got kind of got me hyped, and uh, then kind of was it wasn't required viewing, but it was strongly encouraged. So, uh, uh, which he didn't have to twist my arm at Spider Man for God's sake. Uh, so then I watched you know, the first episode and, and just uh, watched it all the way through with on uh, with its run on then Kids WB on the CW, and uh, then you know. Uh, watched, eventually finally got to watch it on, uh, I had, happened to have Disney XD for the second season, so I was able to watch it uh, on TV, not other ways. Yeah, I did not have uh, Disney XD, so... I'll admit I watched season two other ways, because I wasn't going to wait months and months and months to watch this, since it was... Yeah, that was a, that was a bizarre, bizarre situation. <laughs> if by bizarre situation you mean Disney botched it, then sure. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And Jesse, I understand this is actually your first time watching the show. Yes. Uh, my familiarity with the show was similar to Gerard's, except that I never caught it on Saturday morning TV. So it just kind of fell to the wayside. And I always said I'd go back and watch it. Uh, and never did until Greg wrangled me into doing this. And 
I, yeah. I knew he I'd like it. He you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I knew I'd like it, so I don't know why I, I took so long to watch it. It was just kind of... It was just kind of in the background. I never never really ha- had much of a desire to see it, but I don't... Uh, mainly do the art style, yeah, once again, because I judged a book by its cover, as Zach said. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people did. I yeah. don't think it's anything to be ashamed of, frankly. Yeah, I, I I remember the just gauging the internet reaction on, on just on crawlspace, not and not just crawlspace, but other places too. It, it was not very positive. I, I mm-hmm. do remember that, but mm-hmm. um, I remember this Greg guy kept saying, you know what, he, this producer guy's done a pretty good job, and then we all kind of thought that he was actually the producer for a while. I've got uh, a lot. <laughs> Our parents both had had the same tastes and first names for firstborn children. <laughs> Well, there you go. And um, so we, there, there was kind of a running gag until we actually heard his voice and heard, you know, Wiseman's voice. And then we, you know, realized that they were two different people. <laughs> <laughs> so there was that. Um, He's a much better speaker than I am. <laughs> well, you're doing, a, you're doing an all right job right now. But uh, no, I I remember that it, just that bit, when that image at San Diego came out, we're like, oh, well, I hope it's good. But I'm not holding my breath, and then of course we were all, I, I think, immediately blown away by how fantastic uh, the voice acting, the the, and how the animation moved. I think it's one of those situations. I've kind of gotten this way with movies too. If I see a, like a official image on a movie, I, I try not, I try to hold off until I actually see it in in film. Mm-hmm. You know, before I make too much of a judgment. Oh, video games are like are like this a lot now too. Yeah. Or you can gussy up a screenshot, but if your game looks like crap in motion, you can't fix that. Yeah. I seem to remember a lot of the like internet fan reaction to the initial announcement of the show was like it seemed to be rushed because, as you were saying, it only had like nine months before the premiere, and that's not very long to get the show together. So it kind of. I know. I, when I initially heard about it. I was like, all right, they're, they're just kind of throwing this out there. Did they announce it with the release date? I don't think they did. I think it was March. I forget. But the show was in production for several months before they announced it at San Diego. Mm-hmm. But, and I, that's where how I first learned about it. Back in, uh, I think it was 2006, I heard another Spider-Man cartoon was in development. And I was thinking, oh, great. And I love Spider-Man, don't get me wrong, but... The MTV series wasn't too good. Unlimited wasn't too good. So I was yeah. so uh, wasn't yeah. too good. That's a very diplomatic way to put it. Oh yeah, yeah. Tread yeah, lightly, it, next. Right? Yeah, and, I'm very tread, tread lightly. Where are you going, there, buddy? <laughs> and so I said to myself, "Well, I don't particularly care." And I also happened to at the time be friends with a certain producer named. Mr. Greg Wiseman, and in early 2007, I was prepping to apply to film school in Los Angeles, and I was asking him some advice on living in L.A., getting around L.A., and he said, and in the midst of the email, he said, oh, by the way, I just got a job, I'm working on Spider-Man, and my, oh, great, went to, oh, great, because I had seen his previous show, Gargoyles, <laughs> which I was a huge fan of, and I, so I knew this was going to be really good, and, um, and then it turned out to be, though I will admit, when I first saw some, the character models, I saw some of them before you did. I was in L.A. for film school. I arrived in uh, September 2007, and I went to lunch with them at one point, and I went down to the office, and I saw some of them on the walls, and I had not seen them in motion first, but I was looking at them, and I'm thinking, 
I hope this works because I've never seen animation designs quite like that and sure enough they did I mean but I was skeptical for a bit as well so don't worry about it I can't believe I forgot to mention that yeah I was also a big fan of gargoyles when I was a kid back in the mid 90s and stuff so once I found out that you know Wiseman was involved you know long after the announcement I, I somehow missed that in the announcement itself that perked up my excitement so when I actually caught the show I was I was glad to to have done it because I was like oh yeah of course this is the mark of quality this guy this guy doesn't mess around yeah I mean I I watch Young Justice just based based off this show I wasn't a huge Gargoyles fan when I was growing up I know I know I'm sorry <laughs> but uh, get off this show I know get, get off get off my lawn um, get off my but, plane <laughs> anyway I but I I watched Spectacular and I was like okay this guy this guy knows what he's doing and then I watched Young Justice purely because of Greg Wiseman and uh, enjoyed both of them immensely one of these days I'm going to have to break down and watch Gargoyles yeah if I ever win the lotto or if I ever come into money I'll buy you the DVDs that'll work <laughs> this is a bit of a sidestep but uh, what was the state of your guys Spider-Man fandom at that point because I mean this is this is early brand new day era oh the state of my fandom like I said it was not exactly the best time to be a Spider-Man fan I had for the first time ever well not the no, second time ever, ever dropped the book after one more day hit I had dropped the book the last time I dropped the book was during the Burn Mackie reboot of 1999 of course I came back on later and yeah and even though I'm not particularly happy with the titles now I'm reading them I know I know comics are like a drug I know but <laughs> But at the time, I I needed something positive with his character in it because I've grown up loving Spider-Man. I mean, one of the first things I ever read, ever, was this uh, reprinted treasury of Marvel Comics that had uh, the, a reprint of Amazing Spider-Man 39 and 40, the first John Romita stories, and they made a big impact, big impact on me growing up. Mm. So what about you guys? What was the state of your Spider-Fandom at the time? Yeah, my 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 because okay, are we talking about when the announcement was made or when we, when the show debuted? When it debuted, well, you could talk about okay. both. I mean, why not? I'll, I'll talk about both because because I have to say this this is like my pre broadcasting days with the announcement. Um, we hadn't started Crawl Space yet, and we didn't start that until August. I think we were starting to actually, ironically enough, I think we were starting to actually formulate the. Uh, getting together and potentially doing the the, the show uh, around that time. So it was kind of a weird time frame. But yeah, we ended up doing Crawl Space in August of 2007, right before that announcement. So, okay. and it, but... Right after. And, oh, right, yeah, I'm sorry. Excuse me, right <laughs> after. Um, hey, listeners, I want to kind of apologize. I got some facts wrong just now. Yep, it happens every once in a while you have a brain fart, but... I wanted to um, clear something up. I actually said August of 2007 is when we started the Spider-Man Crawl Space podcast. I was wrong. It was actually 2006. I had a brain fart and decided in my head that we actually started in 2007. So I apologize. And uh, with that, back to the show. But with the debut, I mean, we... oh. Man, uh, 
first of all, we had to fight the wars known as the post post apocalyptic, aka the post well, one more day um, event. I, I swear, we probably had uh, the message board traffic probably increased like twenty fold during those probably f- first six months of, of brand new day. So there was a lot of um, a lot of stuff going on on the site because I, I my fandom is especially. You know, with this last decade, it's a lot of it's tied to crawlspace. So, apologizing for sponging on this so much about crawlspace, but um, I just uh, honestly, it was it was a I was but we, I was disillusioned. We were in kind of shell shock mode of really this is what we're getting, and then it just became straight up like oh my god, this is crap, and uh, it just got worse before it finally started getting better. And I know Gerard's going to disagree with me on that, but it got better. It did eventually. If by if by it got better, you mean it went from everything that you, everything you know and love is currently on fire to three quarters of everything you know and love is currently on fire. Then yeah, sounds about right. <laughs> Jesse, you've been awful quiet. Uh, am I up? Okay, uh, you're up. I would say that I'm more or less the opposite of Zach in that. Around that time frame, I had just jumped back into the comic well, around the the Civil War era, which kind of predates that by a couple of years. But I I was still in, a, in I guess kind of that honeymoon period of collecting the comics week, weekly at that time. So I was kind of immersing myself as much as possible in the fandom and telling myself it didn't suck. Even though, it, it, yeah, looking back, it, it clearly sucked. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember that time pretty well because I was one of the people vigorously defending Spider-Man 3, which is a movie I still love to this day. <laughs> Send your hate mail to, you know, insert the email for this show. Uh, <laughs> on that note... We don't want hate mail. Yeah, on, on that note, <laughs> we have an email address, spectacularradio at gmail.com. There you go. Send your hate mail there, care of uh, me. But, and I remember, of course... Being a big fan of Spider-Man's marriage, uh, being rather crestfallen by uh, the what was going on in the comics at that point, because the writing was on the wall. The moment Peter pulls off his mask in Civil War, I'm like, okay, it immediately crystallized. I said, Mary Jane's gonna die before the you know the following year is over. Judging from, you know, Quesada was going famously at this point, going around at every convention, just constantly bringing up how much he hated it and the fact that they were married and how he wishes it had never happened and blah, blah, blah. And he knew, even by, even when the show was announced at that San Diego con, they were being awfully cagey about what their plans for Spider-Man were and deliberately, you know... As Zach was saying before the show, you ask Steve Wacker what's going on. He says, amazing, amazing, amazing. Which, of course, is a sly way to say it. We're doing it three times a month and we didn't know at the time. But, but they refused to talk about what their immediate plans were. And you knew something ominous was on the horizon. And then we came and it was really awful. <laughs> and it just perpetuated and perpetuated. So when I finally ran into the show, it was a breath of fresh air. I'm like, thank God, at least I have somewhere to get a Spider Man fix that isn't awful. It's finally it's like it's an array of light compared to what's going on in the comics, and even whatever problems I have with the show, and you know, I have X number of episodes to describe them. Even though I greatly like the show, there there's problems I still have have with it. But I mean, I, I gladly take this over the comics of that era any day of the week. 
any day of the week. Sorry, I was a little mini rant. I apologize. I <laughs> have to say that I think that. <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna. I'm, uh, note, note to readers who are familiar with Clone Saga Chronicles. Don't worry, I like this show. <laughs> I won't be going on hate filled rampages often unless you bring up certain things that will invoke that within me. I.e., mentioning one more day. You can now one more day podcast. <laughs> Did I call them readers? <laughs> I'm sorry, listeners. Uh, I have to say that, uh, that judging before. from this, yeah, I know. But, but yeah, the show. So yeah, the show came on. And it turned out to be wonderful, and it was taken from us way too soon. So think of this as a 26-month funeral for it at the same time as discussion <laughs> over. It's like, a, it'll be, it's like a Viking funeral, a 26-month-long Viking, 26 Viking funeral. <laughs> much as I hate to say it, you could practically set your watch by a Greg Wiseman show getting canceled after two seasons. So in a sense, you couldn't have been surprised by it, but at the same time, it's like... No, no, uh, this is... This is this, the third show he had produced, and he didn't quite have that rep yet. <laughs> I mean, Maybe he'll get his Joss Whedon comeuppance. Hey, to be fair, he just uh, he, apparently he's writing the third book in his series, so <laughs> in a series of novels. So there you go. And I'm sorry, Greg. I know you don't like hearing the c word, but we all want your shows to succeed and your books to succeed. Yeah, go buy them now. Yeah, Reign of the Ghosts on Amazon, pre-order Spirit Sebastian Foam. There you go. There's his plug. <laughs> and Zach will insert the links into the, into the post where he, where he releases this episode, right, Zach? Yes, those links will be in the... In, I will make the, sure. Uh, yeah. Greg's going to slap me if I don't. Both, of the, both Greg's will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. So, um, without further ado, let's t- start discussing the first episode itself, Survival of the Fittest. Well, Biology 101, Survival of the Fittest. It's the first of um, three episodes that are... I'm not a scientist, but their titles are taken from scientific biology terms. I mean, you have Survival of the Fittest, Interactions, and then Natural Selection. Would those be evolutionary terms by Darwin? Probably. I I don't know. I didn't do well in science. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Okay, so... um, should probably mention the whole the reason behind that, of course, because it was supposed to be they were packaged essentially to be re-edited into the films with extra yeah. animation. Well, we discussed right. that with Wise with Greg Wiseman during the interview, and he's had more to say about that than we ever will. Let's discuss some previous shows. I mean, obviously, the first Spider-Man animated series premiered in 1967. I've only seen a handful of those. I mean, the only one that pops to mind is this episode of the villain called Dr. Noah Body. Have you ever seen this one? <laughs> I think I have, yeah. Yeah, he was this invisible mad scientist who started bossing around uh, Green Goblin, Electro, and the Blackie Drago Vulture. Oh, I'm sorry, they called him Vulture Man on the show. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it was a product of its time, but hey, it gave us that iconic theme song. Well, the, the, the yeah. show is no, only known now for two things. The theme song and for the infamous meme of uh, Must Not Fap, which is taken from his origin episode. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then it wasn't until 1981 before Spider-Man returned to TV. The same year, the same day, I think, with two animated shows, a syndicated solo cartoon and, of course, Amazing Friends. I, By the way, hey, did somebody say something about the theme song? Spider-Man! Spider-Man! Ah, 
Sorry. <laughs> you better not play more than 10 seconds of that or you'll be sued. <laughs> right. Yeah, apparently they wanted to... We'll discuss this with Greg more next month, but I heard they wanted to use a modern version of this song for Spectacular Spider-Man, but it was a very expensive song. Oh, uh, I wish they had, because honestly, I really hate the theme music for this show. Uh-oh. <laughs> well, okay, There's re- this con, everybody. Okay, really hate is a really wrong way to put that. I have my issues, but... Well, we'll, we'll, yeah, I'll get into that later. Yeah, we'll come back to that. Um, but, um, so yeah, there was Amazing Friends in the solo series, which um, nobody remembers the solo show, even though it premiered at the same time, but I guess more homes got Amazing Friends because it was a network show. and mm-hmm. It's on CBS. And I actually watched two episodes last night out of boredom, one with the Green Goblin and another one with... Dr. Doom in it where he made friends with the fantastic Mr. Frump. If you have seen this episode, I pity you because it's painful. <laughs> hey, my favorite episode of, uh, of, of Amazing Friends was with Miss, Miss Angelica Jinx. <laughs> and the Aussie Wolverine. Miss Angelica Jinx. I remember when you referenced that once on the Clones Chronicles episode and I just peed myself laughing. <laughs> because <laughs> yeah, Firestar showed up I mean come yeah. on and it's, a, it's, a, it's a pity that's the more well known show because the 81 show is vastly superior and it had Doctor Doom in five episodes <laughs> in a strange arc that ran through the show that aired non-consecutively figure yeah. that one out <laughs> and then Spider-Man returned to TV once again in 1994 to a, one of the most celebrated Spider-Man cartoons of all time, Spider-Man the Animated Series, which I believe introduced an entire generation of fans to the wall crawler. Mm-hmm. Waving my hand. Yes. <laughs> it is glorious. I know, you have, I, I know you have your issues with that show, Greg. <laughs> but in light of recent events, yeah, it's very much animation. I think you've come to appreciate it much yeah. more. Yeah, it is, and and I've even come to see the cheese in it. It's part of the charm. I mean, that show was very cheesy, but I enjoy that now. Mm-hmm. The cheesiness is what makes it work for me. Shocker! Oh wait, no, 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 no. <laughs> episode four, episode four. <laughs> you can't escape me. Me. I will haunt you to the end of the earth. Episode four, but um, but yeah, and I think it's safe to say that without the '90s Spider-Man show and the '90s X-Men show, we wouldn't have these Marvel movies that we have now. And they introduced an entire generation of fans to the Marvel universe. So, if you enjoy the Marvel Cinematic Universe and you enjoy the Avengers, thank those two shows. Hell, we might have to thank those two shows for the fact that we have a Marvel still today, let alone a Marvel. Yeah, ex- absolutely. absolutely. I mean, and, and you talk about themes. You talk about themes. I love the 90s theme. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> it's, like, it's like this guy is just clutching onto that soundboard. Like, he just knows. He, he feels it. He has to get on it. I know. I'm sorry. So, an- the animated Never series- apologize, Zach. The animated series do. ran for five seasons, and was soon replaced in 1999 with a another show <laughs> called Spider-Man Unlimited, <laughs> and uh, the less we speak of that, the better. But um, if you ever wanted to see Spider Spidey go to another planet to fight weird animal men in some weird Island of Dr. Moreau parody, that's her show. Somebody laid a copy of Sp- uh, Scarlet Spider Unlimited number one on uh, AVA Red's desk and decided that that would be a great idea to base a cartoon show off of. 
Oh god, remember when they introduced that costume in the comics in like that web spinners issue or whatever it was, yep. or that Peter Parker yeah. issue to try to tie so it. Ooh, I'm shuddering just thinking about it. Yeah. It's the intellectual property canceled the nineties show and then proceeded with a very, very shitty show. <laughs> well, they canceled the 90s show because it hit that magical 65 episode that, that, that and apparently the president of Fox Kids hated Avi Arad. <laughs> well, to be fair, <laughs> and the reason why the reason why Unlimited was 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 done was because they were going to lose their license. Yeah, it was a so, ownership setup. And, and that show, that, as I recall, they only aired two, maybe three episodes. Then they aired nothing for about two or three years before they ran the whole thing and aired some episodes for the first time. It was weird. Yeah. Yeah. It was very weird. Yeah. That's one of the... Well, it got pulled for Avengers. It, it got pulled for Avengers uh, United We Stand. That show does not exist, Zach. <laughs> you made that up in a fever dream. No, that was one of those rare shows that I think everyone realized immediately was terrible. Yeah. You know, sometimes a show will hang around because they've produced enough of it or they feel some sort of commitment to it. That wasn't the case. With that well, one. they at least want to break even on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they cut bait on that one real fast. And uh, for the better, of course, because yeah. it was terrible. And yeah, it's like, it's like, it's like let's, 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 make it a, let's make a West Coast Avengers yeah. show. What? And then after with armor, yeah. And then after the Spider-Man Unlimited, I think Spidey had a little adventure on another screen in 2002. The movie came out after years and years of legal issues. Sam Raimi's first Spider-Man movie came out, and I loved it. Didn't? What about you guys? Uh, every, uh, everyone loved it. Anyone who tells you otherwise is retconning it. <laughs> is retconning history to tell you. This is true. It, it made $112 million in an era that that never happened. In a weekend. Not in a full run. It was just his first as, weekend. As I recall, it outgrossed yeah. Fellowship of the Ring, which came out a few months ago, and that movie was huge. That, that ought to tell you something. Uh-huh. The movie was a hit. And after that movie was a hit, they released another animated show that was in continuity with the movies, which um, mm. wasn't the best thing to do. I mean, it really limited the things you can do, the characters you could use. Um, I mean, I thought Neil Patrick Harris was a pretty was pretty good as Peter Parker. I just wish he had a better show. <laughs> I, I loved I loved the Spider Man aspect of that show. I thought it was I thought it moved and it was very dynamic. And it looked like Mark Bagley drew it right off the page. Yeah, but that, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that show looks terrible. I don't know what you're talking about, Zach. I'm talking about the Spider-Man part, not the rest of the show. The rest of the show is... <laughs> and I think setting it in the world of the movies is a big mistake. There were so many... I mean, you couldn't use its biggest villains and because they might appear in other movies. So there was no Doc Ock. Green Goblin was already dead. There was no Venom. There was Lizard, who was also Kurt Connors, and then he fell off a building and died, although he turned up in Spider-Man 2 alive anyway. So, <laughs> Yeah, I think the best way to describe that show is to put incontinuity in big quotation marks. With its blonde Harry Osborn and yes, but <laughs> apparently they had a script for a Doc Ock episode. And they were told you can't use them, but they could use Kirk Connors and kill him off. <laughs> yeah, Kirk Connors was with dead. Rob Zombie. <laughs> oh god, Kirk Connors was dead. Harry Osborn was blonde. Mary Jane was in a quasi lesbianic relationship with, <laughs> <laughs> with a woman we've never we never saw before or since. Oh man, that show <laughs> didn't it only air for like twenty. 20- not even 23 episodes, like one season? Thir- 13. That's like 13, yeah. yeah. Just on like, MTV. Just on MTV. And it, that, 
that that show looks like an old a bad PlayStation One game. Yes, no. <laughs> and they weren't allowed to use old people in that show. There was no Aunt May. Jameson was barely involved. And wasn't that Asner? Yeah, because it was MTV. Old people are bad. Yes, MTV. That and the fact that the animation they were using didn't work on it with old people. Because <laughs> they were using a sort of CG cel-shaded sort of thing. And apparently their tech didn't allow for old people, long hair. <laughs> a certain, like, they were limited. That's why Mary Jane is short hair. Everyone has short hair. There's no old people. Like when, you're, when, you're, when your animation is constraining what you can do creatively, you should probably ditch that animation <laughs> and go for something else. Yeah. Just saying. And then, after that, two more movies came out. Spider-Man 2, which is considered by many people to be the best or one of the best comic book movies of all time. And then there's Spider-Man 3, which um, opinion is divided on that one, even on this show. Hi, Gerard. <laughs> I was shaking my fist at you through the internet, just in case you're going to say something. Like that. Hey, I like Spider-Man 3. It's not bad. It's just not, it's not as good. I'll watch Spider-Man 3 ten more times before I watch The Amazing Spider-Man one more time. Tell you, tell you who uh, I, I'll say Gerard and I are uh, opposite on that. I do like Spider Man 3, but I think Amazing Spider Man is the best film. On a, compl- on a completely unrelated note, Jesse, didn't you say you were coming to visit New York sometime soon? You should probably run that plan by me again so that I can lay in wait. Uh, I'm going to be here when you get Tune it. in to Spectacular <laughs> Spider Radio next month so that we can finally observe the epic knife fight between Gerard de la Tour and Jesse Garrett. Yeah. How would that even work on a podcast? It'd just be a sequence of grunts and metal clashing like, against walls. Well, I thought you were going to do some finger snapping and, and, and some song dancing, you know. Finger snapping? Yeah. me. Yes. Exactly <laughs> what I was going yeah, with. Have you ever seen that classic uh, uh, newspaper editorial cartoon of what they assume Jack the Ripper looked like? Yes. That's <laughs> wrong. <laughs> I'm not even going to complete the statement. Just complete it yourself, like a mad loop. All right, before the death threats continue, so Spider-Man Three came, went, was controversial, and then another, and then this show hit the airwaves a few months later, as we just discussed. After one more day hit, and many Spider-Man fans were disillusioned. So, Greg, run us down through the episode. It opens the night before. P- Peter Parker starts school school at Midtown. He's uh, swinging around the city where he encounters two criminals who he has busted at least three times already. Flint, Marco, and Alex O'Hearn. We'll never see these two again. <laughs> <laughs> and while he's beating the crap out of them, the camera pulls back and reveal Hammerhead showing the fight to his boss, the big man of crime, voiced in this episode only, by Mr. Keith David. Keith David would then leave, leave the show to play Oberon on Central Park and Shakespeare in the Park. But he's replaced by a very, very good sound-alike performance by uh, Kevin this, Michael Richardson. Kevin Michael Richardson, yes. Right. Who we'll okay. get to when, he, when Big Man returns in episode four. Peter starts school the next day where he runs into his friends Harry and Gwen, who have been away all summer. Gwen at science camp, Harry on a world tour where... He was bored because his dad spent the entire summer in boardroom, so Harry's dad, as we'll see later, is not exactly the most attentive father there is. <laughs> and then, in a scene that you will think is straight out of Amazing Fantasy 15, Peter, with his newfound confidence, he's been Spider-Man all summer, decides to ask Miss Sally Avril out. Except, 
unlike in the comic book where she just lets him down easy, uh, you're not you're just not my type, Peter. Sally proceeds to verbally eviscerate him. I love Great Delilah's voice for Sally on the show. It's hilarious. She just she just destroys him. Oh, it's so annoying. <laughs> <laughs> damaged. We'll get into that. <laughs> you know, every th- every comment that I make makes it sound like I hate this show. <laughs> I just realized this because I don't think I've said a nice thing yet. <laughs> so Peter's humiliated. Hammerhead sets Lucy enforcers to go after Spider-Man, and meanwhile across town, I think I'm getting ahead of myself. Adrian Toomes storms into Oscorp to yell at his old friend, Doctor Otto Octavius who told him to bring his tech flight invention to Oscorp and show it to Norman Osborn. Norman studies the ideas, rejects them, and then announces his own flying technology. He's screwed. So basically, Osborn screws Adrian Toomes over, and Norman Osborn is basically the douchiest douche that ever douched. And he has Vulture taken out... No, Adrian Toomes, he's not Vulture yet, taken out by security, just like Mendel Strom in Norman Osborn's origin story. After school, Pete... Peter goes to Harry's house, a beautiful penthouse apartment in the Silver Heights Towers, and we see and we see that Harry has a pretty strained relationship with his old man when he finds out that Peter's been offered a lab job as a as an intern at Dr. Connor's lab at ESU with Gwen Stacy. Don't suppose you were considered for the job, Harry. No, sir. Tells you so much with so little. Then Vulture abducts Norman Osborne and demands that he be paid for his invention, that he that he be credited, and that Osborne publicly apologize for, st- for screwing him over, for stealing his invention, where Norman Osborne declares, I never apologize. Remember that. That becomes very important later. And just in case you forget it, this show will make sure you remember it, this episode. <laughs> so the vulture dro- drops Osborne to his death when Osborne refuses to acquiesce to his demands, and Spider-Man saves his life. His first damsel in distress ever. Spidey, your life would have been so much easier if you were just five seconds too late. <laughs> <laughs> and um, he has his first encounter with the vulture, and the vulture flies off. Peter goes to ESU where he meets Gwen and he meets Kirk Connors and uh, Martha Connors for the first time, and we are introduced to this show's version of Eddie Brock, who is sort of like a big brother figure to Peter, and we'll learn more about the relationship as the series progresses. So Spidey returns to the Oscorp Towers to find his shoes, which he left there after changing into Spider-Man to rescue Osborn from Vulture, only to, only Vulture goes after Osborn again. So Spidey goes after Vulture, and the Enforcers show up going after Spidey, and we have a, um, a fo- and we have a uh, four-way fight between Spidey and the Enforcers while he has to save Norman Osborn's life from the Vulture, and Osborn gets away, the, the Vulture and two of the Enforcers are captured, and Peter returns home, where Aunt May institutes a 10 p.m. curfew, and that's the first episode of the series. All right, it's kind of hard. So, to um, I remember watching the episode and thinking this seems longer than 20 minutes. Uh, nice change, so much stuff in it. Nice change mm-hmm. of pace from today's decompressed comic books. Yeah, mm-hmm. I actually thought we talked a little bit about that with uh, yeah. Greg. Yeah, you brought that up. So let's go around the the horns. We'll have plenty of time to uh, talk about Peter and other aspects of the show. What do we think of this version of the Vulture? Uh, I, I don't like his costume. Oh, you don't? I I, I would think I would have preferred the green. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I, I have mixed feelings about it because on the one hand, the green sort of jumpsuit look is very dated, and I don't know if it works in 
if it would have worked in animation. And frankly, we've seen the Green Vulture on the 90s show, even though he was a young guy, but still, we saw that costume, the close, or the close approximation of it, but uh, something about the red and black suit just doesn't quite work for me. I like the characterization of the Vulture. I like the, the voice performance Robert England does for him. I like the way he's written. I just don't like the visual. I don't know. I actually like this Vulture costume more than the original because, I mean, the, that, the original is one of the most dated costumes that co-designed it. Red and black are kind of real Vulture-ish colors, so, and it was nice to have a break from the green because most of Spidey's villains are green. Well, I mean, it comes, yeah, back, I, it comes back to the whole idea of primary colors, right? Because, yeah. I mean, villains were always green and purple and yellow, and the heroes were always red, blue, and, uh, you know, colors like that. And I think a lot of that had to do with printing technology at the time. They couldn't get more subtle with colors. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, I think that creates... I mean, what the colors weren't chosen randomly, is what I'm saying. Like, there's a there's a sort of visual language to the way those colors slap together with each other. And every time I see a, a black costume in something, it just immediately hits me as that sort of, we're changing it to be, you know, new and gritty and modern. That's not what they're doing here. But I just feel, I don't know, there's, there's something visceral about the red white and blue heroes versus the green and purple villains. Oh, Would you have preferred the costume to be the, the same design, but the gr- red accents to be replaced with the green? I, I would have preferred that, yeah. I that actually would have been a good compromise. They actually sh- so, the, so the color scheme is more the issue than the actual design of it itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I've seen the character model of the Vulture in those colors in Wiseman's office, and I don't think it looks as cool, but that's just my opinion. Okay. That's fair. All right. Zach, uh, Jesse, what do you think of Vulture in this episode? Well, I uh, I was I was really hoping that the uh, the age defying formula was going to make its triumphant return, but then you know the old Vulture just the old bat just stayed old. Oh wait, wait, wait. No, I uh, I enjoyed this version of the Vulture. I mean, Vulture is kind of a straightforward villain. He's got a, he's an old crotchety man that uh, didn't accomplish much in his life until he decided to finally build a flying glider, and it got stolen from him in the comics, not by Norman Osborn. Um, but uh, this, uh, you're right. You know, you mentioned Mendel Strom and and, and Mendel. Uh, you know, he kind of got he kind of got. I want to say he kind of got put into both both tombs and uh, another guy, Otto Octavius. You might have heard of him. I don't know. Um, that he he kind of gets uh, he's in this episode. So uh, I kind of feel like that those that that character kind of got put a little bit into both. But uh, I, I really do like how they how they blended those two characters together and, and made Tombs, you know, a um, gave Tombs a little bit more more to him than just I just want to steal diamonds, you know. Yeah, in the comics, he invents a flying suit and just goes after after diamonds. Why not sell that thing and make millions of dollars? This show gives us an explanation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, Osborne screws him over, and what can Osborne build with this kind of tech? Ooh. <laughs> yeah, Jesse. So, yeah. What do you think of Ultra? Right, Jesse. Uh, for one, I love Robert England's performance, um, and the design even kind of looks like the guy. Like you, you can. I mean, obviously the Vulture has a set design anyway, but I wonder. I thought he had like a scarred up face appeared. and a claw. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know, Robert England from a thousand to one maniacs, yeah. <laughs> an urban legend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you can't do this with every voice actor, but what are your thoughts on Robert England playing a live action version of Vulture? That would work. He, we know he can certainly yeah, play a menacing like he, villain. He has the, the snaws. <laughs> 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 because when you, the first thing you have to think of is the schnoz. 
No uh, mentioning of Dr. Lamaze. <laughs> I'm not, I don't know. I'm not a big fan of the Vulture as a character, so I would never want to actually see him in a movie. But hey, if we had to do that, hey, there's worse people you can get than Freddy. Yeah, I'll admit, Vulture's never been one of my favorites. I don't dislike him. There are villains who I, in the comics, who I just, I mean, I, I, I like the Vulture more than Venom, but we'll talk about Venom much later. <laughs> <laughs> You're that one guy. Yes. No, 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 I know. He's that one of two guys, because I'm with Greg on this one. <laughs> uh, yeah. Now, I do have to say, this is probably my favorite version of the Vulture. Yeah, my Because, yeah, he, he's not a character who has a, you know, a huge fan following. Mm-hmm. But I do have to say that I like the even more, not necessarily sympathy, but he, he is, a, you know, a crotchy old man who got something taken from him and that's a more, more of a motivation and more of an understanding as to why he's doing what he is than yeah just an old guy who steals stuff i'll definitely agree i think this is the best version of the vulture that we've seen yeah i'm including the comics there too yeah <laughs> uh, you know there were some there were some really good oh, there were. stories of jamie and jamd mateus but yeah you're right i think i think in, as an overall character on um you know front to back series i think he was definitely the best version my favorite Vulture. I have to ask, like, how old do you guys think the Vulture is supposed to be? Late sixties, early seventies, about there. Yeah, because Osborne right, right. calls him basically calls him like a you know an, an old, old buzzard, buzzard. <laughs> and Osborne is old enough to have a teenage son, so you'd say he's like forty or so. So yeah, he I was is. thinking you know at least at least sixties. Yeah, well, I know Osborne was fifty-five years old during. The Mark Millar run, but that's later in Peter's career. So this is ten years before. Then yeah, Osborne's in his forties here. Mm-hmm. I was going to say my favorite is that, Vulture is that story in continuity that he's fifty-five. It was during Marvel Knights. Peter shouts, "You're a fifty-five-year-old man, Osborne." Anyway, Gerard, your favorite Vulture story? Favorite Vulture story in the comics is his third appearance. You know where he dies. <laughs> Well, everyone's died at least once in the comics. <laughs> but no, no, that was clearly supposed to be a permanent death where, where Black E. Drago steals his uh, Vulture stuff, and he's clearly in the hospital dying. Like, when he tells, like, Drago, like, all this stuff, and then, like, you never see him again, or, like, they have people rushing in. <laughs> I remember that story. I'm like, yee! Yeah, and they kept, they kept the Black E. Drago uh, helmet in this in this design. Yeah, this design does a few things that are nice. I actually like the, the basis of his technology here much more than I do in the comics where it was sort of more of a gliding magnetic mechanism. There's something... It's a, it's a slight difference, I think. Because it's much less... The wings are just there for maneuverability, whereas in the comics, at times, you see him flapping his wings as if he's flying under his own power, which is just ludicrous. But well, here, it's, yeah. more, here sure. it's more of like a rudder system, basically, which I, which I like. My wing! I can't steer! Of course, it also calls back to gargoyles, where they couldn't fly, they could glide. It's sort of a similar thing here, where his wings are for gliding, not for flight. Well, he was flying in this episode, but... Well, the, but I'm saying the wings themselves functionally are for gliding. The yeah. flight is is controlled by the right, you right. Know, thing on his back. That's part of the plot. Yeah, it <laughs> <laughs> it's got that little headpiece there, which is Wiseman revealed in uh, our uh, interview with a similar tech to what Otto uses to control his arms. I mean, I kind of like that mm-hmm. they you, you can tell they in their past they collaborated on a project. They can tell that they're old friends here. I mean, you get more hints of that. Mm-hmm. As the series goes on, I mean, in, in episode eight, you see the inside of Otto Octavius's apartment, and there's a photograph of him and Adrian on the wall, and Adrian is giving him bunny ears. <laughs> well, there you go. And I, so, what do you guys think of so much being introduced so early, like uh, like Octavius being introduced in this episode? 
uh, Osborn. Obviously, you know, if you're a Spider-Man fan, these names kind of ring a bell. Mm-hmm. So do you like it being so interconnected or not? I do. Uh, I, I do, too. It borders... It, it can get dangerous if you do this because it borders on being too wink-winky. You know what I mean? Or like... Yeah. Look at all these guys because they're not going to be important. It's sort of like Greg when you joked in your in your uh, recap. O'Hearn and, and Marco will never see these guys again. Wink, 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 wink. <laughs> if you do that too, I mean, it's funny for a, a gag, but like if you do a whole episode of that, it gets kind of cheesy and cheeky. But they didn't do that here. They actually introduced them f- with functional purposes. We find out that you know Marco O'Hearn, and by the way, he is Alex O'Hearn in this, and not. A Russian. We'll get to that when we get to his episode, I guess. But and like you know, we see Octavius in the context of being a scientist. We saw those two thugs in the context of being guys, two-bit guys who've been caught by Spider-Man a few times. We see Osborn as a CEO. We see Hammerhead as the consigliere to the big man. We see and so forth. And we see you know the enforcers acting as sort of hired muscle and, and, and so on. So they're essentially cameos, but at the same time they're being they're cameos that set up future stories rather than just being. <laughs> I I have to bring this up. You know you know what's happening. You could feel that name being about to be brought up. It's like when Dan Slott mentions people in the background of stories, so solely to remind you that he knows who they are. And they don't serve a purpose for the story. This is, serves a purpose for the story down the road. That's why this makes a very good pilot. Yeah. And one thing I want to say is that this is also one of the first times I ever liked Hammerhead. I mean, granted, he only has a small part in this episode, but I like the voice actor they picked, and you can tell he's been doing this for a long time. And John DiMaggio voiced him, and I think he did a good Ooh. job. He gave him some real gravitas, even for his brief appearance here. I mean, I never cared about Hammerhead in the comics or. He had a. I think he only appeared in the previously in the '90s show for about two episodes, and then never appeared again. Even though he went to work for the Kingpin, he he, he served virtually the same role in the '90s show that he did in this one, which is he was a second-hand man, except the silver man in the in the, that show, mm-hmm. versus and to the big man in the show. Yeah, there's a part of me that thinks it would have made more sense for him to be Kingpin's lieutenant after Smythe instead of Landon, who had previously betrayed him, but. Well, that's another show. Well, that could also come... I mean, you know how it is with animation, Greg. Oftentimes, it might come down to the politics of getting voice actors and availability and yeah. stuff like that. So we you know we don't know exactly why Hammerhead didn't, wasn't reused again, but... And... Which, which, which brings up another aspect to what Jesse was saying, which is that to bring this many characters in had to be a beast behind the scenes financially mm-hmm. to bring in all these actors to do their roles. And they have a huge cast in the show, and while after this episode, they, the episodes tend to get smaller for a bit, there are still some really huge episodes, a lot of characters, and I'm not, and I'm not just talking about Sinister Six episodes, I mean, mm-hmm. this episode serves its purpose, introduces the characters, introduces the world, and now we can get to know it before the next big thing happens. Although something happens in every episode, so don't worry, it's not like current comic for issues upon issues can, can be released without anything of significance happening. <coughs> Jonathan Hickman. <laughs> no comments. <laughs> and I was surprised to see the Enforcers the first time because, like I said to Greg Wiseman earlier, they haven't been relevant in the comics since before Dicko's run is over. 
they're sort of a, a just a motley crew of thugs. I mean, you, the, you can have anyone serve that purpose. Yeah, and uh, it's not a complaint because I mean, I thought it was a cool thing to throw in, and obviously they come back, and um, and, and and it was fun. I mean, it's I mean, I like the Lee Ditko Lee Ramita era a lot. I mean, and I think the show captured that well while um also bringing in elements from later in the series, later mm-hmm. in Spider Man's continuity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, Zach, you've been quiet over there. What do you think about this stuff? No, I I, I think it, it seamlessly blended in and really is uh, the mark of a good pilot is is you want to watch more and you want to see more of this stuff and and uh, there's a very organic way with all these characters being introduced and and, and it's done very 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 well. So I I, I, I don't know. Do you, do you think the Vulture plot actually lends itself to this? Because I feel like the Vulture aspect of the story is the weakest. I think what it comes down to is Vulture has to be one of the first ones because, let's face it, he's one of the least impressive villains physically. I mean, if you introduce, say, a goblin before the Vulture, the goblin who can also fly, I mean, what's the Vulture got? <laughs> and this is also something that, that Wiseman also said. The, one of the reasons he introduced Vulture is that in terms of being an imposing villain, this is a, obviously a build-up, all of it, to, you know, facing, you know, bigger baddies down the line like Venom and, and Green Goblin. An Ock. An Ock, mm-hmm. yeah. So, I mean, you kind of have to get him out of the way. You kind of have to get the Enforcers out of the way, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I mean, you could just not have the Enforcers in the show. <laughs> <laughs> they're not they're not characters that anyone feels compelled that you need to put in. This is yeah, what, is, is, is this their first appearance in animation? No, I think they were in the 67 show. Okay. Well, they had less of a pool of villains to draw from by that point. They probably, yeah. probably Virtually everyone who had appeared up to that point probably ended up in that show. Some yeah. way or another. Yeah. I was fine with them. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like the Enforcers. They're not bad. Mm-hmm. I'll say this. At least, uh, you know, they have consistent names. Bendis. <laughs> I swear, Fancy Dan in the Ultimate Comics had like three different names and three different appearances. It was very frustrating. Jesse, any overall thoughts as a first-time viewer on this episode? I mean, we've had a few, but anything you want to talk about? Overall, uh, and this, and saying this would be a good thing, uh, I, I felt very similar to watching this as I did when I watched the 90s show, in that both show, neither show has an origin story. Yeah. Which... On one hand, it's kind of something bold to do, but on other hand, everybody knows Spider-Man's origin. Mm-hmm. And you also get the the tidbits that you need to know. He was raised with Uncle Ben, who's no longer there, and he mentions the power of responsibility, but he doesn't beat you over the head with it because, yeah, most people know that already. So I like that the show is kind of trusting its audience, and it, it doesn't play down to the audience. It doesn't, it doesn't assume the audience is dumber than necessary. So, I, I always, yeah, uh, I, I really look forward to it. Yeah, I mean, it's a show that Go works ahead. on multiple levels. And, yeah, Gerard, you were, you were saying? I was going to say, I, I, for anime and for ongoing shows, I think I much prefer them not to start with the origin. Because to me, if the origin is like, it's almost like baggage, whereas when you start this way, especially in the teaser where they establish that he was you know, a hero already when he runs into, uh, you know, her and, and uh, Marco and that he had been busting them all summer, basically. And then you sprinkle in little bits here and there, but you give an origin in full later. 
I much prefer that. I wish they would do that more in movies and in TV and all that stuff. Um, yeah, but you had to do the origin first, man. I mean, I mean, really, that's one of my favorite aspects of Burton's first Batman movie. He's Batman in the <laughs> right from the start of the movie, and then later you get his origin within the a context that makes sense. Same thing with this show. You got little bits here and there, but they'll give you his origin. What second to last episode yeah. of the season? Yeah, and I and I agree. It's like you make a Fantastic Four movie. We know their origin. Let's go fight Doctor Doom or do a, an abbreviated version of the origins for the opening credits. Incredible Hulk did that. Mm-hmm. And it did it well. Yeah. You don't need. There are some heroes. That's the thing with some heroes. The origin is is almost unimportant to what the characters are. The Fantastic Four's origin, okay, hit by cosmic rays and they have powers, okay. They will take, there's no, there's no, with great power, there must also come great responsibility in their origin. There's no, I must become a masked avenger of the night to, to save people from the, the anonymous face in the darkness. There's not, that's not part of their origin. So they don't, you don't need their origin. You just start the movie with, you know, <laughs> a big giant four flashes in the sky in flames, and, you know, they all descend onto Times Square to fight the Mole Man. That's fine. And Spider-Man in animation works fine, because you're going to get that later down the road. But I mean, whereas Spider-Man's origin has been told in the first movie twice so far, and I guarantee you it's going to happen again when inevitably this current series of movies gets rebooted. Mm-hmm. And it was particularly stale in The Amazing Spider-Man for that reason, I think. In that we had seen almost an identical version of that yeah, part of it just 10 says, years earlier. just says, pull Incredible Hulk, show it briefly in the, in, in the credits, and hey, let's go fight the lizard. All right, so let's go around the board for pros and cons. Um, Jesse, you, since this is your first time, what are your pros? Let's see, I, I really enjoy the just the basic storytelling, the, the, the way the story is presented. The acting in it, uh, short of Jameson, I didn't like Jameson. But yeah, most of the other roles were cast perfectly. Uh, and I will say that the animation is very fluid. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, Gerard, your pros? Oh, I'm with him on the animation, especially. I, I, I still am hit or miss on the actual designs of the characters, I mean, in terms of the art style. But it animates so beautifully that I'm willing to accept it. Like, I, I would much rather have beautifully animated but awkward-looking <laughs> characters than, you know, very detailed but stiffly animated characters. You know what I mean? Yeah, 90s... I mean, 90s X-Men. I mean, I love that show, too, but the animation is uh, kind of rough to look at. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, of course, I, I, I thought the story was solid. I didn't like the Vulture, but I think they did so much plot-wise... I mean, it doesn't feel like a 22-minute episode. It's actually kind of shocking to, to look back and see how much they accomplished in the, the constrained format. of It almost feels like an hour-long pilot with how much stuff you get, and that's, that's tremendous. And uh, it's a good, very, very good start to the series. I, 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 I mean, I can't, other than maybe having a different villain, I can't think of a way that they could have made this better in any way. So. Yeah. Zach, your pros? Uh, I'm going to echo Gerard. Uh, they they managed to get a lot in this episode. Uh, the animation's fluid. Um, the designs are are, are, are good. Uh, I I thought that they managed to really bring you in, and and the purpose of a pilot is to get you leave you wanting more, and it definitely accomplished that goal. Mm-hmm. And my pros, I thought the story was great. The animation is beautiful to look at, and 
I thought everyone was well cast. I, I know several voice actors. I've been interested in voice acting for a very long time. Not for myself. I could never do that. But So it was nice to... I mean, and I've heard so many versions of these characters over the years. I mean, it was nice to hear in some ways. A lot of them felt like what I had... Vulture, for example, felt like what I had heard in my head reading the comics without knowing what that, what that voice was. Same with Josh Keaton. And mm-hmm. Jesse... Um, Darren Norris really grows into the role of uh, Jameson. He gets a lot more dimension as the series progresses. So hopefully your opinion will change on that as it goes. If not, and if not, no biffy. You know, I think I understand Jesse what your complaint is, and it's the same thing that I had at the beginning of the series when I first heard him, which is that he just sounds like a fake J.K. Simmons, and I think he's almost sort of written that way too. But as as that starts to be shed out of his character, as you, especially when his son is introduced. I think that's when he starts to show him. Yeah. Oh, well, good, because, yeah, he, he just, he seems like somebody doing a Jameson voice at this point. Mm-hmm. Which is funny, because, and I didn't don't particularly want to go there, but they brought J.K. Simmons back to do Jameson in the Ultimate Spider-Man cartoon, and they haven't done a damn thing with him. He just rants on a TV <laughs> screen. Zach, you've seen much more of it than I do. Have they done anything with Jameson on that show? Dude, Jameson's just there to, to be like, ah, rah, 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 uh, on a giant screen, you know, just do... Uh, that sounds <laughs> crappy. Although, Jesse, you'll like this. I, 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 don't, I didn't confirm this ahead of time, but I remember... I, I probably should have, but Greg, you'll, you'll double-check me on this one. I think this is not the first time Darren Norris voiced Jameson. I think he was also Jameson in the 2000 Spider-Man game. I know he was Eddie Brock and Venom in that. I think he was also Jameson in that. Hold on, let me check. Really? That's interesting. I'm looking this up right now. Yeah, I know. I should have looked it up, but it didn't occur to me until it was just this moment. I apologize. No, he wasn't. Okay, well... I'll D. Bradley, D. Bradley Baker was Jameson in that, and he's also... Uh, Dr. Kirk Connors in this. Well, he played Jameson before in something. I I, I don't know. It's somewhere. Maybe not the 2000 game, but he was definitely Jameson previously. He was Jameson in Web of Shadows. That was around the same time as this, though. That's all that's coming up on IMDb. Mm. And I'm doing my control F for Jameson on his IMDb page. Okay, well... <laughs> well, I look like an idiot. <laughs> no, <laughs> you no, no, you don't look like an like idiot. It does sound kind of like him. Uh, game and uh, a few other okay. characters. That's probably where the confusion comes from. Cause I know he was in previous Spider-Man stuff. It was probably because he played other characters in the game. Like, geez, okay. Ironically, also Josh Keaton played Harry Osborn prior to this, and James Arnold Taylor, who plays Harry on this show, played Peter Parker. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know. I, well, the Keaton one's obvious. You played him in the Spider-Man movie games, the first two. Although he was supposed to be Spider-Man originally, and then they comped over his sound, etc. Well, it's based on well, it's based on the movie, so you want Toby doing it. Yeah. And hey, hey, he's actually pretty good in those games. Oh yeah, he is. I. The only that's the only time that he actually got to be the fun, jokey Spider-Man. And I he proved he could do it. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, yeah, I was shocked by that yeah. too. Let's go around the, the, the board for cons. Um, Jesse, since you're new to the show, any cons? Uh, let's see, I, I did like that the show was so packed, uh, but the middle of the episode drug a little. Um, I guess I guess after the or well, after the fight with the enforcers, or no, after after the I'm sorry, after the enforcers were introduced. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think it picked up towards the end, and ultimately it 
it didn't it didn't drag too long that I was ever bored. And while I do like the animation, I will say that the designs still kind of just are off putting a little bit. Uh, hopefully they'll grow with they'll they'll grow with me and won't be I guess as as annoying. And uh, I know it's kind of it's foreshadowing, but uh, Eddie Brock's inclusion seems just kind of odd. Like I I don't know. It was a little too much. Like I'd rather him have had his own scene with Peter, because you like you were saying you implied that they had a like a little brother big brother kind of relationship and you you don't really get too much of that just that they know each other they were friends in school and then he's gone i I like him and peter having known each other but i think it could have been implemented in a better a better scene that yeah i really enjoyed really enjoyed the first episode yeah i think that scene was there mostly due to the original plan to mark to stitch these together as dvd movies yeah, yeah. So you can really tell that with the first few episodes. Yeah. And um, Gerard, any cons? Mm-hmm. I know you have cons. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I sort of mixed in a couple of them, which is you know my dislike for the vulture or like a little nitpicks I have about the design work and stuff. But most of these are just sort of like I don't know if the quasi funny sort of little nitpicks that I have with the show. But um, this is the most college-like high school that I think we've ever seen on. <laughs> in TV or movies ever, <laughs> I I know that they're in a, a magnet. they're in a magnet school, which is I mean that's basically just to explain away the whole district thing of you know the school system and stuff. Because really, there, there's no logical reason why how you'd be able to explain how multiple students from Queens are all going to a Manhattan high school, <laughs> a public school. So by having it be a magnet school, you get around that. Yeah. But um, it is very college-like, and they're they're doing internships in a lab and stuff. I always hate in. This is a problem I had with the Amazing Spider-Man as well. I sort of ranted to you about this the other day, which is that when you start having high school students doing college-like things far too much, it just exacerbates the fact that really they should just be college students. <laughs> which I I guess I understand the the desire to have uh, high school-aged Spidey because. Surprisingly, that hasn't really come up very often in other media. He's almost always a college student. Um, I think mainly because he was a college student for such a large part of his history, and frankly, the best part of his history. But So it's nice that he's a high school student here. I just thought it was implemented a little fishy to me. Um, It's also... Maybe this is just me, but I don't know if you guys caught this, but it seems very inconsistent how well-known Spider-Man is. Because some, you know, I think the Vulture and a couple other characters comment, they thought he was just an urban legend. Mm-hmm. But then you have, yeah, but then you have guys, yeah, but then you have guys that ran into him multiple times. You had the cops talking about him just casually on the street, like, oh, yeah, well, he does some good, but, you know, he really causes more trouble than he's worth it. It's just like, so do people, I don't know. It, it, it seems inconsistent to me. Well, I think what they established was is that Hammerhead had to get rough with some of the crooks in the Big Man's Empire to make sure they were sincere. They thought that they were lying to stiff them on the Big Man's cut. And uh, but yeah, Osborne hadn't heard of him. The Vulture had only heard urban legends about him. And uh, yeah. Flash, Flash Thompson knew who he was. <laughs> yeah, that, that's what I mean. Like it's it's there's something weird about that, but it's excused because this is really is just for this episode. I mean, beyond this, people know who he is and stuff, but like I said, just a minor nitpick. 
And uh, I thought the third act, in contrast to what Jesse said, I thought the third act was the one that dragged a little bit because the. Uh, I just thought the action sequence at the end was a little underwhelming. All right, Zach, any cons? Not really. I not not that I can absolutely think of. Uh, yeah. All right, I've I've actually got a small con. I thought. While I I enjoyed Norman Osborn's character trait, I never apologized, and I did not mind it at all during the second act. I thought it it was a little bit too much in the third act when Vulture is cutting into the limo and is like, you will apologize, and Osborn shouts, I won't. I know this is a definite foreshadowing for something that comes later, but I don't think that last one was needed. By that point, we knew what Vulture was after. I'm in recognition of public apology money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my only uh, I was going to say my only con uh, that stinking theme song <laughs> I was going to save that till later, yes. but sure sure, I don't like the theme song for this either I don't love it it's grown on me I remember we made fun of it when it first debuted but damn like, like uh, it's one of those there, there's been better theme songs. It's like drills you in the head, spectacular, spectacular. It's like punching you in the face. Well, it's intentional. It's supposed to burrow into your ear. That's why they call them earworms. They're supposed to burrow in there and stay there. It's the same yeah. exact thing. Like, the, the song stays with you, which, you know, mission accomplished. That was the goal. But I think damn. The, but, I think I the, think the, but the actual like the, intro like itself the, is cheesy. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Jesse. I like the, the visuals in the title secrets. But, yeah, the song I don't yeah, the it's song nineties. Yeah, the song took a while to grow on me too. I mean, I enjoy it now, but first time I heard it, I was thinking, "What the hell is this?" Mm-hmm. But then again, much can be said about the same about the the, the intro for the nineties show, and I think that's <laughs> widely beloved by a lot of people. Wow, 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 wow! Oh, it was definitely a product of its era. <laughs> mm-hmm. Definitely. Got Joe Perry from Aerosmith to play the guitar. You know, I'm glad you brought that up because it brings up something that I didn't. I, somehow forgot to write in my notes which is the music overall I'm hit or miss on the style of music in this show I think I think it bugs me a little bit I don't like the style of it I don't mind the rest of the music it's just it's just the damn yelling at me spectacular like <laughs> it was better when the band played it yeah. you know exactly what I'm talking about the high school marching band yep that was pretty cool alright so um, let's go around the board again. What are your grades for the episode? Uh, I'll, I'll jump in and say mine. I think this is a solid uh, B plus. I think it's a good episode. I have a lot of little minor uh, picks, but no real huge issues. I think. Yeah, I'm gonna give, I'm gonna give it a B plus. Uh, it's a it's an incredibly good start. Yeah, really well done. Just, just, uh, yeah, I say I say uh, in uh, uh, yeah B plus. Um, I I agree with what the guy said. Yeah. I see where I'll come from. I'm giving it an A minus because it was a good episode. It wasn't perfect, but the, the flaw didn't bug me too much. But it was a little bit beating me over the head with the with this aspect of yeah, we know Norman Osborn's a dickbag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Without even even if you haven't seen any other Spider-Man media, the moment you see him in this episode, you know. I mean, our our friend Adam even told a story about how his. He's watching, been watching the show with his four-year-old and two-year-old daughters, and the moment they see this guy, he's the only person on the show that really scares them. Yeah, he he, he looks like a shark. Does, that make, does anybody else get that with the the sort of squinty, beady eyes and the the sort of 
the hair? The, 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 like, the, the little, little like line in the middle of his head, yeah. It's almost like a fin, the way his head is shaped, too. Oh, he is a corporate shark. And it's, uh, I don't know, maybe I'm looking too much into this. It's, it looks a little shark-like to me. Well, I mean, J. Jonah Jameson has an exclamation point in his, in his, in his face, so there's that, too. <laughs> well, he's always screaming! Yeah, we established that last episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so overall, I thought it was a very strong start to this show. I think we're all agreed agreeing on that one, and um, we'll discuss episode two interactions next month. I, I'm, I'm smacking no, myself no. on the head. I got to mention one other thing. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's more trivia than anything else. There are three gargoyles in this episode. Oh, there are. Yeah, how could you forget to mention this, Craig? Because <laughs> you, you told uh, me you were going to mention this. Yeah, and I forgot, because uh, I have a really poor memory. Um, you, you, from his previous show, Greg Wiseman's previous show, Gargoyles. Did Vic Cook work on that show, too? Yes, he did. It's a story. Okay, he did. Thank you. The, the, they, and Vic Cook directed this episode, so it makes sense. They worked in... Their, Spider-Man runs past three stone gargoyles in this episode, and it is Goliath, Hudson, and Broadway. And then later in the episode, Spider-Man actually yanks Broadway off of a building. <laughs> and smashes him. Angela will be very upset. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's actually kind of horrifying if you think about it, because he just killed him. Yeah, and notice that Greg did this. Greg killed off one of his characters from a previous show in this episode. He wrote the pilot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Greg, you bloodthirsty man. I thought you how loved we, them. You said they were your did, babies. <laughs> how did you forget to mention who wrote and directed this episode? And <laughs> <laughs> before just now. It's our first show. We'll, we'll iron out the king. So to those I of like, so I wrote it. Yeah, so, so to those of, of you fans who are listening to us, I mean, th- thank you for your patience also. I think, I hope you enjoyed the show and um, the series gets better and I think we'll, we'll get better also. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, uh, yeah. And if you want to leave us a line, uh, leave us a line at uh, spectacularradio at gmail.com. And we'll read some of your comments on the air. You know, if you also want to use the, uh, if you want to leave a voicemail, if you, you want to have your voice on the show, you could always use the uh, Clone Saga Chronicles voicemail line, 818-925-6631. Just say, you know, talk about Spectacular Radio. We'll play them on the show. Mm-hmm. We, encourage, right. uh, we encourage recommendations and feedback because we know what we want to do and we want to get better at what we do. But it will help Absolutely. us to know what you want from us so that we can give you what you want. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Exactly. All right, gentlemen, it was a pleasure this month, and um, to our listeners, I hope you enjoyed us, and we'll be back next month with more discussions with Greg Wiseman and more discussions with this crew, and we're hoping down the line to get a few special guests, be they other Spider-Man podcasters or other people who worked on this show. So, there you go. Keep-